I pray you all had a good week. I just heard a wonderful testimony from a brother that what God did in his life on a business trip. And I really believe there's divine appointments everywhere. If we will have the eyes to see, the hearts to understand, the ears to hear, and the willingness to do what God wants us to do. I mean, they're everywhere. Everywhere. And I'll tell you a funny one that... Uh, to me, it was a divine appointment. I don't know about anybody else, but I was at uh, was it Sprouts. I ran in to get a couple of quick things. And um, when I was there last time, there was a, the guy behind the meat counter. Um, was just really nice. And I thought he was a Christian, but it didn't, we didn't get in that conversation. But we laughed, and, and my wife said, we could hear you two all the way on the other side of the store. I mean, we had a blast, a blast. So I'm walking by, and I saw him, but he was talking to a lady as I you know, was walking by, I was just getting two little things, and I was going to go see him because I wanted to get some, some sausage. And um, I uh, walked by and heard him say, and the word of God, and I stopped. I mean, I'm not kidding, I was like this, and I went, <laughs> and he saw me, and she saw me, and she goes, can we help you? I said, no, you said the word of God. And she says, you don't hear that much in stores, do you? <laughs> and I went, no, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so and I said, you guys are talking about the word of God. She goes, yeah. I said, I'll be right back. Let me go get my basil. You know? <laughs> so I, I got the basil. I came back and uh, we were talking and we just started sharing. He was talking to her about how to pray for her house because she thinks that, you know, there's some possibly some stuff in it, you know, some demonic activity and stuff. And, and, and so she goes, I got to go. So she goes, thank you. And she was talking to him and I was standing there and he goes, Hey, man, how you doing? I said, great. And so he told me his name, and we just started talking, and, and we started praying right there in Sprouts, and it was wonderful. And I walked out going, yeah! You know, it was almost like I didn't want to leave. We just came that close to having church right there in Sprouts at the meat counter. So what does that have to do with this? Nothing. But we're going to get into the Word of God. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that today, that Lord, that you will be glorified in all things that your name will be lifted up and your word will sink deep in our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. Holy Spirit, teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's our premise. We've been looking at Christian maturity for, a, what, three, this is our third week. We got one more week, just a little short little series on Christian maturity. And this was our premise as of last week. Christian maturity is a call to discipleship. A mark of maturity is love for what God commands and the ability to apply his commands in one's walk. That's maturity. You know, uh, it's called adulting in Christianity. Okay? But I want us to look at something real quick today. Christian integrity. Let me show you something real quick. That integrity, we hear all the time, we, you know, we want people around us with integrity. We want people around us that, uh, that we can trust, Right? But I really believe our version of integrity in the world is different than God's version of integrity. Now, this is going to be our premise today, but Christian integrity is a sign of Christian maturity. It is a life lived in the light of God and his word. Okay, great. But let me show you something real quick. Integrity in the world, it means this. It means wholeness, entireness unbroken state, purity, 
unadulterated and unimpaired. In fact, that's not the, what the world has. That's what the Word of God says about integrity. It's unimpaired. It's unadulterated. But what does that have to do with us and Christian maturity? Well, here's where we're going to go. Christian integrity is a sign of Christian maturity. It is a life lived in the light of God and his word. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Now, we looked at verse 9 last week. We're going to look at verse 10, but we're going to read 9 and 10 and 11 today. And this I pray, Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Let's read that again. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. We saw that last week. And all discernment, that means distinguishing between things, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Now, Christian maturity is a life that's separated. Christian maturity is a life that's separated. It says, approve the things that are excellent. Now, we're going to take this apart just a little bit, okay? One's life speaks by what one approves. Now, think about that. Let that sink in. Our lives speak by what we approve. The word approve is interesting. It means tested. It means approved. It has been approving a thing whether it is worthy or not. And you got to bear with me. My eyes are blurry today. It's hard to see. Now, approved gives the understanding of something which has stood the test, that which is proven worthy to be part of one's life. Now, when it says that you may approve the things that are excellent, what are you approving in your life? What are you giving credit to? What are you allowing in your life? But see, it's a little bit more than that. Is what are you testing before you let into your life? Because when we let something in, in here, in our life, it has the ability to take over. Now think about it. What do you watch? What do you listen to? You know, you're going, okay, there's the two things that the preacher always talks about. What are you watching? What are you listening to? Okay, what are you doing? What are you approving? Approved is used several different ways in the scripture. This is interesting. It, concerning true believers. In fact, Paul said of Apelles, he said, salute Apelles, he approved in Christ. Approved in Christ. It's concerning godly character. There's another one, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Okay, it means, says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, when you hear that verse, I remember when I was ordained into the ministry and licensed in the ministry, both times the pastor read that verse over me and over, you know, the other brother that was, that was uh, uh, licensed and ordained into the ministry. And we always stick it for the word of God, right? Man, study the word. Be ready. Be approved. Your workman needs not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Well, okay, great. But you know what it's really saying? Look at it. If you want to turn to it. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Remember I asked you guys to bring your Bibles and not your phones? 
<gasps> I know your Bible's on your phone, but you know what? There's nothing like turning the page of God's word. Yes, I am old, and I embrace it. Look at 2 Timothy 2.15. Look what it says. Be diligent to present yourself. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not be, need to be ashamed. He's saying rightly dividing the word of truth. That's fine. But how do we present ourselves as a workman worthy, you know, not, not ashamed? By knowing this, by doing this, by walking in this, that's what it's all about. But see, we don't want that. You know where we get our theology from our songs? You know where else we get our theology? From what people say. Like the big thing now is statements like that one. Approved gives the understanding of something that which has stood the test, that which is proven worthy to be part of one's life. That's great. That's true theology. But most of the time is we listen to a guy's statement and we go, oh, yeah, mm-hmm, that's good. But is it biblical? Did it come from the Word of God? Is it out of the Word of God? Is the Word of God speaking into our life? Are we walking in that? How do you get approved? By walking in what God's commanded. Ultimately, you know what the approval is? It's salvation. How do you know you're saved? Because you want to walk in the Word of God. Not perfect, but you want to walk in the Word of God. Am I making sense? Let's go on. Here's another one. How approved is used in the scriptures. In James 1.12, it says, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. Mm -hmm. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You know what this approval is talking about? Being tested. What does approved mean? Tested. When we stood trials, we usually complain through trials. I've done it. I've done it, but if we will allow God to take trials and use them to define our character, to move us to Christian maturity and integrity, it'll change our life. I'm going to tell you one, you guys that know this. About two weeks ago on a Thursday night, getting a shower, and I'm washing, and right here behind my neck there was a lump. It wasn't there Thursday morning. And it was about that big. That's where three times all the cancer was found. That's where the lumps were. And I freaked. I was standing in the shower and said, God, I can't do this a fourth time. I'm not trying to get your sympathy. I'm trying to tell you something. This was, this was a test. And so I'm going, okay. So when I got out of the shower, I called Denise, and I said, you know, she, uh, she came up. She goes, what's going on? And I took her hand, and I went like this, and she started to cry because she knew. Last time they took out 16 lymph nodes, six years ago. I didn't think I had any left there. But it was right there. In fact, it's just you can touch it. This is a little teeny thing now. So I called the doctor on my oncologist on Monday, uh, Friday. And they couldn't get me in until like Thursday of the next week. So when you have connections, you have connections. So I called, I sent a, an, a 
text through, uh, through Facebook to his, his um, head nurse, which used to come here years ago. And she goes, I'm not there anymore. She goes, but I'll take care of this. And um, about 10, 15 minutes later, I get a call saying, uh, your appointment has been moved up to Monday at 8.15 in the morning. And she sent me a text back saying, Dr. Andrews wanted me in there real quick. I'm going to try to make this quick. So anyways, I got there. He did all the Monday morning. I got, you know, we came through Sunday, came through, you know, I didn't want to tell anybody yet because I didn't know anything. So I went in and he goes, he's poking around. He goes, that's the hot spot right there. I went, yeah. And he goes, but Ron, he goes, you know what? He goes, I don't think it's cancer. He goes, I don't know what it is, but I don't think it's cancer. I said, okay. He goes, when's your appointment with Dr. Mayer? I said, it's on Thursday morning. And he goes, I'm going to call him and talk to him. He goes, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Get in there on Thursday morning. He does ultrasound. And he comes back. He goes, no, I don't believe it's cancer. I love his accent. It's so much fun. And he goes, I don't believe. He goes, it's not cancer. He goes, I don't think it is. He goes, let's see what happens. It's almost gone. What's the point of this? I freaked. Is there anything wrong with that? No, I don't think so. But it pushed me. It could have pushed me the other way and gotten angry. God is four times. I got to go through this four times. You're going to take me this way? I've asked you, you promised that I would never go through this again. All the prophetic words, all the stuff, and you're going to take me again? I'm going to walk through this again? Why are you doing this? Or I could have said, God, I don't understand. But I trust you. Tested. It's gone. Those willing to be proved are the approved. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.24, the last part of the verse, he says, run in such a way that you may win. How do we run? We run with God. We run to be approved. We run towards him. We're going to get into that in a moment. It's not enough to just know what is right and wrong in our life. There is a higher standard. What's that higher standard? Look at the word. So that you may approve the things that are excellent. Now, in the church today, I'm going to say this. We have a wrong understanding of excellence. Because everything now, especially in worship teams and in ministries, oh, we got to do it in excellence. We got to do it in excellence, which means being interpreted means, it says the King James, it says, do it really good. That's doing it with excellence. That is not what excellent means. What does it mean in the word? Let's look at it. Excellent means this it's a compound word, diaphanero. What does that mean? It means this. Meaning to bear oneself apart. Meaning this, separate oneself from others. It means to defer or to differ. It's the distinguishing of things that are different. It's not doing it well. It's totally opposite in the word of God. We've taken the world's understanding of what is excellent, and we, I'm going to say it this way, we've perverted it. Excellent meaning is this, to distinguish what is true and separate oneself unto it. What's true? What are we approving? Is it true? 
Or are we approving a lie? Are we allowing that into our life? Are we walking in that? Are we walking in the truth? You, you with me? Just do this. Okay, good. The higher standard for life is God's word, his commands. What we approve is what we separate ourselves unto. And what we give ourselves to is that which we love. What does it say in Matthew chapter 6, 21? Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart is. Treasure meaning what? The thing you love, the thing you allow, the thing you want is where your heart lies. You're saying, Ron, you're, you're, really, you're really pushing hard today. Yeah, I am. What's going on in our world? What happened last night? What happened yesterday? What happened Friday? We are pushing. We've hit the debt ceiling in America. I'm not going to get political. But this is what's going on in our world. What are you going to do when it gets worse? What are you going to do when it gets hard? What are you going to do when it gets really tough? This isn't like the other recessions. This isn't like what we faced before. This isn't the gas lines in the 70s or the recession we had in the 80s. This is different. What are you going to do when it gets tough? Are you going to run to Christ? Or is your life going to have the integrity to say, God, I trust you? Or are you going to get angry? You're going to try to make it on your own. Think about it. Jesus said this in, in John chapter 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Is that where your treasure is? The believer's life should be the proving ground for the excellence of God and his word. Christian maturity is a life separated unto God. That's what it's about. That's what this first point is talking about. The believer's life should be the proving ground for the excellence of God and his word. Is our life a proving ground? You're saying that's easy for you to say you're a pastor. You study the word all day. You're supposed to live this way. You live to higher standard. Bull hockey. You haven't heard that in a long time, have you? It's an old saying. It's clean. I said this last week. We think because someone's a, oh, that, that person's a minister, or that person's a really, really on-fire Christian. They've they got a higher standard than I do. That's junk. Well, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that, that the elders and the pastors have this standard. And it says that in Titus chapter 1. Do you know, I said this last week, hear me on this. That is the very basics of Christianity. That's what every believer should be living. What he's saying to them is that if this elder that you're going to elect or you're going to put in, or this pastor that you're going to put in, or this minister you're going to call, if they don't have the very basics in their life, they have no business being, a, being in leadership. That's the basics. Every believer is supposed to live like that. The believer's life should be the proving ground for the very excellence of God and his commands, his word. Christian maturity is a life separated unto God. Let's look to the next part. Okay, look back in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, or verse 10. So that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless. Now, it's interesting because that little passing 
word there says in order. In order is this. It means this. In order. The Greek means in order. But it, it's this too. It signifies a continued progression and purpose. Paul is saying here's the purpose of approving what is excellent in your life. Here's the purpose. Here's the reason for it. In order that what? That you may be sincere. I'm going to give Steve Jobs his uh, definition of sincere. Look what Apple Dictionary says about sincere. It means free from pretense or deceit, proceeding from genuine feelings. Also means of a person saying what they genuinely feel or believe. Not dishonest, not hypocritical. That means, tell me how you feel. You feel me on this? You feel in this? It's not what sincere means. Again, that's the worldly definition. Let me show you what scripture says. The word sincere in the Greek, it means this. Sincere means pure, means unsullied, means free from spot or blemish to such a degree as to bear examination in the full splendor of the sun. Ouch. Huh? What does that mean? It means this. I said this last week too. Um, we don't have a vase or anything. If you take a pitcher that's made out of clay, and what they used to do is that they were making it, and when they were done, if they noticed when they were done with the pitcher that, or, you know, or the pottery, whatever, if it had a crack in it, if they were going to sell it, what would happen is, is they would take wax and they would fill the crack with the wax. And the wax would take any of the clay particles and it would fill it in and you couldn't see it. And so it was not sincere. It was not pure. It means to be without wax. But here's the thing. The merchants would try to sell that but the customers would take it and they finally learned how to do it. If you would take the pot and you would hold it up into the sun, the sun would come through and would show you the crack that the wax is in. That would show that the pot was not sincere because it wasn't able to be examined in the full piercing sunlight. Is that a lot different than Steve Jobs' definition of sincere or the world's definition? It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the, son of, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Now, we're talking about being sincere, right? Being, be, being able to be examined by the light. Look at verse 5, chapter 1 of 1 John. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say, and I could preach on that, but we're not going to. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, means we're allowing the darkness into our life. We're approving the darkness. 
we lie and do not practice the truth. That means we're not sincere. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Read that again. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, because there's no darkness in God, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. You want to know how to have great friends? Very little, if any, problems in your friendships and your marriage and stuff, walk in the light. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. You catching the pottery in there here? We say we have no cracks in there. We say we have no cover-ups. We say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We're not being sincere. If we confess our sins, here's the beauty of it, because we are going to sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The believer's life should be without hypocrisy before God and the world. Christian maturity is a life examined in the light of God. We think that, I'm trying to be kind of calm this morning. We think that we can get away with stuff. We don't think that God can see us. We think we can do that little, we call them white lies. Hey, it's no big deal. Or we can do a little this, we can, I can cheat a little bit here. I can tell a fib here. No. Whether we think so or not, if we call ourselves a believer, we're being examined by the very light of God. Y'all with me? Christian maturity is a life examined in the light of God. We want to be examined. We think that repentance is just a thing for a brand new believer. It's a thing for every believer. Every day. We should live a life of repentance. That's why 1 John 1.9 is there. We confess our sins. That's repentance. We should be daily saying, Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to displease you. I want to please you with my life. And Lord, convict me. Examine me in the light of your word. Examine me in the light of your presence on a daily basis, wherever I'm at. Because let me tell you something. If you think God is not around, he is. I know a brother just told me recently. He was at a, a, a business thing. And he was walking through to go to his room. He was walking through the bar area. And a guy came up to me, up to him and said, will you pray for me? I know that you pray. I need prayer. And he told him his story. You think God, God is even in a bar. He shows up there. Why? Because that brother brought the presence of God walking through that thing to get to his room, and that guy over there saw it. In some way, whether he believed it or not. Am I making sense? Am I getting too mystical? I'm not trying to, because I don't like doing that. Where are you? Where are you? Let's go on. We're going to finish this up. Christian maturity is a life without blame. Here we go. 
blameless, it says, in order you may be blameless until the day of Christ. The definition of blameless is a lot different than what we think. But it means, in the Greek, it means not taking or giving offense. Okay? Great. So what does that mean? To be blameless is to move forward without moral failure is what that word talks about. Do you know how many pastors and leaders in the church are stepping down or getting found out because of moral failure? All over the place. I told you I got a brother that left the ministry because he got so fed up with what came out from the Baptist church that there were hundreds of pastors that their moral failures were covered up. And now they've been found out. The list is out. It's happening everywhere. Here's a present application. How do you apply blameless in our life every day? Blameless expresses the scope and purpose of integrity. It means this. It means without stumbling, without offense. It has both the idea of not falling into sinful conduct and of not causing others to fall. As I've been getting older, that wasn't supposed to be funny. It really wasn't supposed to be funny. Okay, yes. As again, I turned 65 in June. Yay. I put some up on Facebook the other day, but I look in the mirror and I'm still 25 in here. <laughs> but as I get older, this is what's happening. I've been thinking back. In fact, sometimes at night I'm laying in bed, I'm thinking back on my life, my walk with Christ. I don't really think back on before Christ. But in my life, and I see the mistakes that I made. And the enemy tries to come and haunt me with those things. The stupid mistakes. The things I may have taught that I didn't know any better back then, but it's because I didn't really search it out. And people believed it. Nothing bad. Don't think it was heresy or something. But I think about it, and I'm going, God, don't let those things haunt me anymore because I know you forgave me. But it's making me not want to do that again, to make those same mistakes, to make those same failures, which are not, and there was no moral failure or anything like that. But just, let me say this way, because it's in the New American Standard Version, the stupid things I did. Stupid mistakes, not, not going with what God was saying and thinking I had a better way. not realizing at the time that my choices, people were watching. And they may have made those mistakes too. Because, hey, Pastor Ron's did it, or Ron did it. I know Ron. He loves God. I'm going to follow what he did. I told you this before, that I went to Bible college. And you know what was being passed around the Bible college while I was there? It's okay to sleep with your girlfriend or your boyfriend before you get married. Bible college. Do you know how many guys and gals were believing that? Because they explained it really well. Not the Bible college. This is being among the students. We have more moral failures than you can imagine. Do you know this crept, the same teaching has been crept into the church today? 
It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. I can go out and, and drink like crazy on Saturday night just so I don't get right at that point of getting drunk because the Bible says don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, we don't understand what the Word of God's saying there, but we're going out and we're drinking. I'm not, pick, not picking on anybody. This is what, it bothers me because I read articles about this. I've been invited to beer and Bible studies. Beer, cigars, and Bible studies. One, I won't smoke. I've been through cancer three times. Think I'm that stupid? And two, I can't stand beer anyways. But we're trying to mix the world into Christianity to draw people, we think, from out of the world into Christianity. So we'll copy some of the things of the world to be enticing, which we don't realize. Jesus said, be ye separate. Come out from them. Don't live that way. So if we approve drinking, I'm not talking about a little wine with dinner. Paul even told Timothy to do that for his stomach. Okay, fine. But at the end of dinner, you're waving the bottle in the air. you got a problem. Okay? But we're trying to merge. This is what's going on. We're supposed to be blameless. That means that our life is such an example that it can be examined by the very light of God. It can be examined by his word. And it can be examined by other people. And we're blameless, which means we're not at fault. We're not in fault. We're not failing. And we're not causing anybody else to fail. Because people watch our lives. Jesus gave a severe warning. It's one of the most severest warnings, if that's in good English. Forgive me, Marga, if that was bad English, okay? One of the most severest, <laughs> I said again, one of the most, one of the most severe, okay? I like, one of the most severest, okay, of Jesus' warning is this. Look at it. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. We try to soften that. You can't. If he's saying, if you stumble, that's just not talking about little children. It's talking about any believer. If you're causing somebody and you're purposely causing them and you know that what you're teaching and you know that what you're living out is wrong and you're causing somebody else to follow you into that, may you have a millstone thrown around your neck and drown in the sea. Then do that. We are to walk blameless. We don't want to hear this anymore because it's, it's very law and very legalistic. It's not law and it's not legalism. It's what Jesus said to live. The goal is this. Here's our future hope about being blameless. We're blameless in Christ because of Christ's blood. But we are to walk as blameless as we possibly can on this earth. But it says this. He says, until the day of Christ. The goal in view is the day of Christ, which is what? That's not the day where the final judgment comes and the wrath of God is poured out. That's not what that's talking about. That's not the day of the Lord. This is talking about this. When we stand before God as we pass, when we die and we stand before God, that's what it's talking about. Meaning what? 
The goal in view is the day of Christ in which all believers must stand before the Lord and give an account of their deeds. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. You can look at it later. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. But let me show you something else. Turn in your Bibles, if you have, to 1 John chapter 3. I'm not preaching long. We got done with worship late. Look at verse 2. Well, let's start in verse 3, okay? I mean 1, excuse me. Chapter 3, verse 1. 1 John, chapter 3, verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. We won't get into that. It's so good. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Now, wait a minute. Hey, is the world not knowing you? Beloved, I'm telling that to me too. Beloved, now we are the children of God. He's saying now, because you're a believer, because you accepted Christ, repent of your sins, you're living for Christ, you're a believer. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. We'll be changed. Look at the next part, verse 3. And everyone who has this hope, what hope? that we will see him face to face, that we will be changed. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, the word fixed is not in the actual original language. It's implied. But it's in that word hope. And it's interesting because it means this. It means this hope is securely fastened to our heart. When John was writing us, he going, is this hope, if you're a believer, this hope should be securely fastened to your heart. This is where you live. We're going to wrap it up, I promise. We're almost there. Now look at verse 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. That means continuously sins. Now, it's not talking about perfection. In the Greek, it means doesn't sin all the time. Okay? Let's go on. No one who sins has seen him or knows. No one who practices sin continuously has ever seen God. And, no one, and those guys don't know him. Little children, make no, uh, let, be sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil, and it goes on. What are we saying here? We're saying this. We started with this statement. Christian, Christian integrity is a sign of Christian maturity. It is a life lived in the light of God and his word. Look what Philippians chapter 2 verse says. Verse 14 says, chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Do you see what that says? We are moving into some times in our world that there is not going to be a lot of light. We're supposed to be the light. He is the light of the world, and he is, is he, if he is in us and we are believers, then we too are the light of the world. 
We're supposed to bear the very light of God all the time. Why? Because look at what it says. Do all things without grumbling and disputing so that you may prove. That's an offshoot of the word approve. You may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Now look what it says. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. If you don't think our world is not crooked and perverse, then you need to examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Does that mean we, we pull out of it and we judge everybody that comes near us? And I mean judge in a worldly definition of judge, okay? That we, oh, well, they just aren't Christians. Hmm, I don't associate with them. Or God, I ain't hanging out with that guy. He's an unbeliever. No. That means we are the, supposed to be there and as a light, standing there in our workplace, living out Christ in our workplace, not weird, freaky Christianity. And you know what I mean by that, right? You walk in, oh, praise God, hallelujah, hallelujah, I'm here. The Lord is here because I brought his presence. And you walk in your workplace like that, one, you get fired, two, they'll never be around you, and three, they may put you in a home. That's not what that's talking about. We are supposed to be Christ as much as possible, loving people, caring for them, helping, living above reproach, living out the word of God daily, being different, so different that they know that we're a believer many times without us saying a word. And I guarantee you, it's happened to me. I guarantee you that someday someone's going to walk up to you and say, Will you pray for me? I know you're a believer. They will. Because the world, many of them are looking. You with me? Christian maturity is a surrendered life. You want to be mature as a believer? Surrender to Christ. Look at the next part of that. A surrendered life is a mature life. One of my favorite authors is Oswald Chambers. And all through everything he's ever written, he talks about a surrendered life. Andrew Murray talks about a surrendered life. Watchman Nee talks about a surrendered life. Are you surrendered? There's going to come a time where God will really speak to your heart about that. It's today's surrender. I'm not talking about getting saved again or something like that. I'm talking about this, that your life, you want God, you want Christ more than anything else in the world. You will stumble. You may fall for a moment, but you get up and you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And lay your life down before him. Surrender. When we do that, you're going to start seeing the maturity happening. You're going to start seeing the integrity standing out. Let's pray.